Welcome to the Recognizing Potential podcast with your host and certified relationship coach, Cameron Thompson Alaricki. This is the podcast for all things real and raw on building the healthiest, happiest marriage and parenting relationships possible. As a coach, I am on a mission to help couples divorce proof their marriages. Together, my clients and I are changing the statistic that half of marriages end in divorce by learning and more importantly, applying tools and tips on how to communicate clearly, create peace and love generously. I am happily married and we have two boys and in my spare time, you can find me reading, painting and traveling this gorgeous, incredible world. Now let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome back to another episode. I am so excited to talk about this topic today. Today, we are going to discuss the how-tos, the whys, the what's of repair after conflict. Now, I think it's a misconception in the industry of coaching and relationships and marriage that happy couples don't have conflict. That could not be further from the truth. Every single couple has conflict. It doesn't matter if you are the happiest couple in the world or the most miserable couple in the world. You're going to have conflict. The way that you handle the conflict is extremely important. And there's a couple of previous episodes on that. But today I want to specifically focus on what happens after the conflict. Recently, probably about three or four weeks ago as this episode is airing, I polled all of my Instagram followers in my stories, and 76% of those that voted said that they just moved on after, on after a conflict happened, which means that there was no discussion about it. There was no, there may or may not have been an apology. It was just kind of like, hey, we blew up and then we're moving on. And there's no closure to that. There's no... Like, hey, this is what happened for me. This is why I got upset. There, there's no, there's nothing there in order to move on and and make things better. And the reason that this is concerning to me is that the repair is actually the most important part of the argument, and it's missing in majority of marriages, which completely makes sense because I mean, if the percentage is so high, repairing is not taught when we're little. When we are little, if we even got this. We were taught basically like, oh, we hurt our friend's feelings. And so now you need to give your friend a hug and you need to say you're sorry and you need to move on. But what are you saying sorry for? Maybe, yes, you might have hurt their feelings, but what if your feelings were hurt too? What if, you know, there's no, there's no lesson there on, hey, you know, if this is what happens to me, you know, this is, this is why I felt triggered. This is why I felt upset. And that's why I reacted the way that I did, whether it be healthy or not. So we're not taught that when we're little and at 76%, I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts that our parents weren't exhibiting this for us in their marriages. So we weren't taught in that way either. So what is repairing and why is it important? Repairing is fostering the connection between you and your partner after the argument, because when there is an argument, when there is conflict, and if you followed me on Instagram or you're in my Facebook group, you know that disconnection 
causes conflict, not the other way around. So when you close that gap on connection, you're actually going to have less conflict to begin with. So what happens when we have conflict? If you're just moving on, most likely there's a lot of resentment there. There's a lot of lingering feelings or unmet expectations. If you're not talking about those and you're not saying, hey, this is the the expectation that was not met for me. This is where I went wrong. This is where, you know, where I got triggered. Then most likely that's going to happen again in the future because your partner is not a mind reader and they're not able to see that that is something that triggers you, whether it be because of an experience in your past, because of the way that you were brought up, because of an assumption you made, whatever the case may be, nobody is growing from that experience. So that lesson is going to come back to you in the form of another conflict and it's just going to continue to happen. So the idea here is that every time you repair after conflict, you're laying another brick down in the foundational elements that help you handle larger conflict down the road. You're bringing your marriage back together. You're reconnecting so that you can not only handle bigger things in the future, you're also going to have even less conflict in the future because you're connecting again. So you're re- you're fostering that connection and um, that Again, conflict is caused by disconnection. So when you have the connection, you don't, you're not fostering the conflict cycle. So how do you repair? So the idea is that after the argument has happened, so you're going to give yourself a lot of time to calm down. There's a lot of different statistics that say different things. Some say 20 minutes, some say 30. Upwards of 90 minutes is the longest that I've seen. So what happens in a conflict is that our bodies go into fight or flight, freeze or fawn mode. So in any case, however you handle conflict, your body is basically shutting down and focusing only on the attack at hand. It goes clear back to caveman DNA times where we had to fight off like saber tooth tigers and stuff. So your partner in this case is your saber tooth tiger. So what's going to happen is the outer layer of your brain, where you actually have the cognitive functioning, it's what um, helps you make, you know, rational decisions, actually shuts down. So it takes about 90 minutes. And again, those studies, 20, 30, 90 minutes, whatever it is, give yourself about an hour and a half to fully calm down for your body to recognize that you're safe, that there's no more attack and that can all come back up and, and your bodily functions can start, you know, working and moving again properly. So you're going to meet your basic needs after that. Are you tired? Are you hungry? Are you dehydrated? Those three things, your basic needs have to be met in order for you to have a productive conversation anyway. So, you know, meet those three needs first and then come back to your partner when you are no longer in a defensive state and you can listen to each other's point of view to understand. Listening to understand, not just to respond, is absolutely essential here. And now you know that you're ready to repair. So that's the idea. You have to calm down. You have to be willing and able to listen. And you have to be willing and able to hear your partner's point of view. So when you come together, you don't want to have any distractions. No kids around. You don't want the TV on. You want your phones on silent or out of the room completely. And you want to come together to have a conversation. 
The idea here is you're going to use I statements. So I felt, and here you're going to insert an emotion word. I felt angry. I felt disappointed. I felt upset. I felt triggered. When, what is the circumstance? Because why did it trigger you? And then I need blank to move on. So an example would be, um, I felt dismissed when I was speaking to you and you walked out of the room because I took that to mean that you didn't care what I was saying and I felt it was disrespectful. I need you to wait until I'm done talking before you leave the room in the future. Or I felt angry when you didn't pick the kids up from school today and I had to leave work early in order to take care of that because I still had things to do and I felt like my time didn't matter and I need a hug and to know that you won't do that again in the future. Something along those lines. Using I statements helps to focus on you. This is important because every time there's conflict, both parties have a hand in it. So whether it be, you know, one person screws up, then the reason the conflict arises is because the other person handles it poorly or doesn't use an I statement, is attacking in their, you know, in their accusation or in their conversation. But if done correctly, using the I statement takes away the criticism, the blame, and the shame of your partner. Now, in the examples that I used, it can sound like criticism. There's a very fine line between criticism and complaining. So for criticism, you're focusing on the person as a whole. For complaining, you're focusing on the behavior. So you'll notice in the examples that I used, when you didn't pick up the kids, not when you were a lazy parent or not when you were, you know, disrespectful, rude, and, you know, a jack wagon or whatever. So you're not attacking the person, you're attacking the behavior that they did. When you walked out of the room, that was his behavior or her behavior. Um, when you didn't pick up the kids today, that's the behavior. That's not the person as a whole. So it's really important that you change your wordage to make sure that you're not criticizing your partner. And if done correctly, I statements also take away the blame and shame of your partner as well. So they don't feel like they're being attacked. Now, after both sides have given their perspective, you're going to calmly talk about the disconnect that happened. Now, sometimes like in the previous conflicts that my husband and I have had, um, one of us is super long-winded. So we know that. So we will bring a notebook and a pen to this conversation, to our repair, so that we can make notes throughout so that our partner doesn't get distracted. This is also really, really important if your partner has ADD or ADHD, because once they get on a thought process, if you interrupt them midway and be like, well, am I going to ever get to talk? then your partner is going to lose all train of thought and they're going to get even more triggered and frustrated. So it's really important to bring a notebook and a pen to the conversation so that you can make quick notes. That way your partner also knows that you're engaged, you're focused, you're paying attention to what they're saying and it's important to you. 
and you're listening to understand. So then you can ask questions later, you know. So, for example, um, you know, one person, partner A might go, partner B is taking notes and asking questions like, hey, can you tell me more about that? What do you mean by this? Um, can you elaborate? Things like that. Now, again, if your partner has ADD or ADHD, questions like that might throw them off as well. So writing out, a, you know, what did you mean by X, Y, Z? Um, tell me more about this, this, and this. So you're going to have to have more conversations around that as well and define what that looks like for you so that you can have the most productive conversation, you know, moving forward. Um, so after both sides have given their perspective, you guys can talk calmly about the disconnect that happened. You know, was it a miscommunication? Was there an assumption that was made or many assumptions that were made? I will tell you that studies show and just working with couples, um, you know, in coaching, there are so many times when conflict could have been completely eradicated if assumptions were also eradicated. There is a reason that assume there's, you know, that adage that like makes an ass out of you and me. There's a reason for that because assumptions lead to so many problems in marriage and so much conflict in and of itself. And again, with that connection, when you are connected to your partner, you're more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt than you are to make an assumption. You're more willing to ask questions like, hey, what did you mean when you said this versus, I can't believe you said that. That was so rude. Well, now you have the hand in the conflict too. So the other thing um, to do when you are discussing all of this and in the middle of the conversation, apologize for your part in the disconnect. And if possible, help your partner get the need met that they stated in their I statement. So I need you to give me a hug. I need to know that you're going to be there for me. I know that I need to know that you have my back. How can you reassure them? How can you give them that hug? How can you, you know, repair that connection in a way that they need. Also, if you know their apology languages, which is something that I start out with in like the first three sessions when I'm coaching couples, because it's so important to eliminate resentment. If you apologize in their apology language, that's really big too. When you don't apologize in their apology language, a lot of times your, your partner is going to feel like you didn't apologize at all. Case in point, up until a few months ago, my husband did not apologize in my apology language at all. So he would say things like, oh, my bad. Um, I, you know, I won't do that in the future. Well, that's not my apology language. I need to specifically hear the words I'm sorry for, and here is what I'm going to do in the future to make sure I don't do that again. So he was completely missing the mark and I felt like he never apologized for anything. And so I had a lot of built up resentment. Meanwhile, all he needed to know was, hey, I'm sorry for this. And that was all he needed. So, And I was giving him that. So he didn't have any resentment for me in that area because I was speaking his apology language. So now that we've tweaked that and he's actually saying, hey, I'm really sorry for X, Y, Z you know, this is what I will do in the future to make sure that doesn't happen again. 
all of that resentment has completely dropped and completely left me because I feel like he's apologizing and he truly is sorry. So apologizing for that disconnect, apologizing for your part in it and doing so in their in their language is, is huge. And then forgiving and moving forward after you both feel reconnected. That's really big too. Now, here are some things to keep in mind while you're going through this. The goal here is to approach this with a solution-oriented attitude and biggest thing ever is to stick to the topic at hand. There is a literal term that we in this industry call kitchen sinking. So if you come to the argument and you come to the repair and you are talking about, well, the last time we argued, you said X, Y, Z. And then that one time that you dropped the kids off and then the other time that you did this. And when we were at your mother's, blah, blah, blah. When you're bringing up like nine different conflicts, first of all, if your partner is male, Keep in mind that they get emotionally flooded a lot quicker than women do. And two, if you are kitchen sinking, that's not a solution oriented thing. You're trying to deal with like nine different conflicts right now. Like it's overwhelming. Where do you even start kind of thing? So come to this one, attack this, this conflict specifically and come with a solution oriented attitude. Additionally, and we've talked about this a lot before, but communication is 58% body language, 35% tone, and 7% words. So make sure that your body language and your tone are sending the same message that your words are. I have RBF. So if you are, and if you're not sure what that is, you might like pause this now, but it's resting bitch face. And so I am a lot less um, aware of what my face is doing. My face may be sending a message sometimes that is completely off to what I'm actually thinking or saying or doing. So in that case, you know, we just kind of have a, um, a phrase in my house that I actually learned on a podcast about raising boys and girls. That's what the podcast is called, Raising Boys and Girls, and it's wonderful if you, if you have children. Um, but it's just fix your face. Hey, fix, you know, are you meaning to send this message? No. Okay. Fix your face. And so we kind of get a chuckle out of it that may or may not work for you guys. And that's totally fine. But, um, just have an idea of your communication, what your body language is saying, you know, do you have your arms folded? Cause that's sending a message that you don't want to be there, that you're not open to the communication. Um, are your legs turned toward or, or away from your partner? Um, are you, you know, doing a lot of chores and things instead of, you know, actively listening to your partner? That may be something that triggers them and they feel like you're more interested in getting the dishes done than you are paying attention to them. Um, and you may be the type of person that, you know, you can multitask really well. So make, again, communication is key here. This, the third thing is to give your partner the benefit of the doubt. And we kind of talked about this a minute ago. But sometimes this is harder than others, and especially if you're dealing with a reoccurring cycle, which in this case, I would say get help because 69% of all marital conflicts end up in gridlock. And a lot of that is caused by pride. So you're so worried about being right, and you're so worried about making sure that your point is heard or that you don't look like a moron or whatever the case may be, that you're not putting your marriage first. And so you're putting your pride above your marriage and 90% of divorces are caused by a pride issue. So 
if you are in that reoccurring cycle, I would definitely suggest getting help. Um, personally, I am starting to take clients to start November 1st. Um, so just to start, you know, thinking about that, I am booked it until that point. So um, remember that this is your partner who loves you and not your enemy. And you're in this to understand and do things differently, not to judge and condemn. And that's one of the biggest things too, I think that's so important and that we lose sight of is that if you're having the exact same pattern, you're doing the exact same thing over and over and over and expecting different results, you're literally living out the definition of insanity. So if you and your partner are doing something and you're like, wait, I'm falling into this pattern, this, this is familiar, stop and ask yourself, okay, what can I do differently here? How can I you know, what can I try? Can I be vulnerable? Can I stay in the conversation? Can I, you know, if you're, if you have an avoidant attachment, most likely you're going to need to stay emotionally engaged. If you have an anxious attachment, you're most likely going to need to communicate that you need a break and go ahead and give your partner the break that they need and not push, push, push to get, you know, all of your needs met and to, to, to get a solution right away. So, um, you know, just making sure that you're doing something differently because that's the only thing that's going to create change. And then taking a break if needed, but you must come back later and try again. And this isn't going to be perfect every single time. My husband and I have started to repair many times only to find out that maybe we weren't as calm as we thought or one of us says something wrong that triggers the other person and then we have to come back later and we have to repair both conflicts. So if you aren't sure what the difference is between taking a break and walking away, here it is. So in the middle of a conflict, when you are taking a break, there is a specific time amount given. So for example, hey, I'm feeling emotionally flooded. I feel like I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret later. So I need to walk away for two hours. I am going to go for a drive. I'm going to go play pickleball. I'm going to go play tennis. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go get something to eat. Whatever the case may be, whatever you need to do to self-soothe. And then if you've said two hours, you need to come back in two hours. It is your job to come back even if you need more time. And if that's the case, come back or, you know, make a phone call. Do not send a text. It is, it may, the message may not get there. So either make a phone call or come back and say, Hey, I want to work this out, but I'm still not feeling calm. I still need this amount of time. So you're giving an allotment of time. That way you're not triggering your partner's abandonment issues. And if they have an anxious attachment style, they are feeling like they are going to be abandoned. So this is a really big thing for you to do. And this is something that needs to be tried that may be different from something that you've tried before. So taking a break, walking away is you literally turn around and you walk out while your partner is still talking. You walk away um, and you don't give an allotment of time. You don't say when you're coming back. You don't tell your partner anything that's reassuring that says, hey, I want to work this out or, hey, you know, this is how I'm feeling. You're not communicating at all. You're just stonewalling. And I will tell you of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, according to Dr. John Gottman, who is like the marriage guru, he has coined the terms for these four 
horsemen. And in order of least detrimental to your relationship to most detrimental to, to your relationship is the first one is criticizing. Second one is contempt. Third is defensiveness. Fourth is stonewalling. So if you're just walking away from a conflict, stonewalling your partner, not talking to them, then refusing to talk to them for several days, sleeping on the couch because, you know, you don't want to deal with it, avoiding your partner, whatever the case may be, not only are you triggering their attachment style of anxiousness, but you're also stonewalling them. You're also not handling this in a healthy way. And that is definitely walking away, not taking a break. So you can't just avoid the issue. You have to actually communicate and say, hey, I need this amount of time to calm down. I'll be back. And again, I cannot stress this enough. I cannot hit this, you know, on the head enough that disconnection is not caused by conflict. Conflict is caused by disconnection. And the whole purpose of the repair is to bring that connection back together, not to widen the gap. So another thing, you know, in terms of communication is you're going to keep things calm. You're going to go low and slow. You know, when you're talking like this, like it sets anybody's stress level on edge. It sets, you know, when you're when your nerves are already shot because you're in the middle of a conflict, that tone and that speed is something that's going to just escalate things. So low and slow. Hey, are you in the headspace to talk about this? Okay, great. So here's how I was feeling. How were you feeling? Keeping things, you know, calm. Focusing on building each other back up, not tearing each other down. There is no scoreboard in a connected marriage. When you are going at things in a repairing, uh, giving each other the benefit of the doubt, hey, I'm here to understand, not to judge and condemn you, things are going to go so much better than they would if you were doing the opposite. So I hope truly that that has helped. If you need help even further with conflicts, if you're just feeling like you're in a rut where there's conflict all the time and you're needing to get out of that. Again, I am starting to book one-on-one private coaching sessions uh, starting in November and I will talk to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to another podcast episode of Recognizing Potential with your coach and host, Cameron thompson Alariki. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and also send me a review. I read all of the reviews and I'm grateful for every single one. Be sure to join the Facebook group, Recognizing Potential Life Coaching, for even more life-changing content. Follow me on Instagram at recognizing underscore potential and on Twitter at recpotential, R-E-C-P-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-L. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next week.